Hello and thank you for tuning in to the Flatiron Syndicate Motorsports Podcast. This show is brought to you by Flatiron's Tuning, your source for any aftermarket or OEM Subaru parts. Be sure to check out our store at flatironstuning.com and stay tuned with Flatiron's Tuning. Well, welcome back everybody to the Flatiron's Motorsports Podcast. Um, I think this is episode 103, believe it or not. Wow. And, and we have got Mike Pettifer from Go For It uh, Services, Go For It Racing joining us. And uh, Mike, you were in the shop. Uh, the other day and we, we talked about some topics and one of the things that was on your mind to talk about was safety and yeah and that is that is something that like in the community it, it pops up every now and then and, and usually what where it comes up is if, if there's an incident something something happens in an event you know obviously where where something goes you know maybe not as much to plan as as we would hope that or uh, it, or, or maybe or maybe there was like an accident on I-70 that involved nine semis and 12 cars. Well, then there's that also. Yes. Yesterday. Safety is one of those things where it usually is not uh, you know, on top of, of mind unless something has happened to, to put it there. But <laughs> true. Yes. But it's one of those things where it is, it is good to maybe every now and then think about um, you know, our setup, our equipment, the choices that we're making as far as like what what degree of safety we have and, and those sorts of things. So um, I thought that was a great topic. And, and well, here we are to talk about it. Maybe sure. maybe just as a primer for anybody that's not seen, you know, Mike's been a, a, a guest on, on the podcast a number of times, but maybe for anybody that's not familiar, maybe can you give in an idea of your background with, with uh, driving and motorsports? Uh, do you have an idea of how much experience you might have with this subject? Well, let's see. I started uh, Go For It Services 38 years ago now. Um, and we do safety training for cars, motorcycles, trucks, buses, RVs. Uh, we have a racing team for cars. Uh, we do licensing for racing for cars and motorcycles. We also do corporate events. Uh, we do big corporate charity events where we have as many as 125 people uh, per day at a racetrack. Um, so, and then I do behind the wheel instruction. Uh, so I've got a pretty broad, broad background in car, motorcycle, truck, bus, RV type safety and performance issues as and, you and well you can't forget about and, the racing part. So you also race yourself. Right. Won uh, 53 uh, championships, amateur championships with SCCA, divisional, national, or mid-states conference championships, which is more than anybody else in history. And this is and this is road racing, just, just to clarify. Road racing. So, yeah. and, and in all of that, all those years of racing, I'm guessing that there's been a time or two, maybe just a time or two, where uh, you've had to put a couple wheels off or, or you've had an incident. So you, you've kind of, I mean, is that fair to say you've been on the experience end of that as well? Sure. Unfortunately. Yeah. I, un unfortunately, yes. Let's see. When I, was, when I was road racing motorcycles, I was doing a class and I actually fell down on the motorcycle at over 100 miles an hour. That's, that was... That was not as much fun as everybody says it is. I'm not sure they say it's that much fun. But that's that's where the gear and in the preparation and some of the decisions made ahead of time really start to pay dividends. 
Absolutely. And one of the things that I like to tell people, uh, because motorcyclists kind of get a bad gig at parties and social events, you know, you always get, I'm, I'm usually the one that rides the motorcycle. And then that's when the, the horrendously bad stories come out. Yeah. My, my brother, Fred had a motorcycle and he's now missing one arm and, you know, there's never, there's never good stories. So here's, here's a good story. I uh, I raced motor road raced motorcycles for almost forty years, never broke a bone. There you go. Wow! And I went pretty fast. Yeah, yeah. Well, and and I mean, it, this is maybe a good a good segue into what we've like. What I've heard you talk about before is an awareness plan, which is maybe a good place to start when you're talking sure. about safety. Sure. And you're on track, and so maybe. Let's let's just jump into that first. So, ex- can you explain what that is? Yeah, uh, when we're when we're doing a class, and what you're referring to, I think when you did a class with me uh, ages ago now, hint hint, um, mm-hmm. was the awareness plan, and this is the way that you can tell if you're about to lose control of your car. Uh, the top drivers in the world can go to any track, uh, get in any car in any conditions and go amazingly fast and not crash the car. So the $100 question is, how do they do that? Mm -hmm. Well, when you're in plan A of the awareness plans, you're driving perfectly, okay? You're hitting your apexes, your turn in, your exits, uh, your speed going into the turn in point is correct. It's, It's perfect driving. And we all aspire to do that, but in reality, there are no perfect drivers. Even Lewis Hamilton makes mistakes every now and then. So uh, plan B is if, let's say, you go into the corner a little fast, and instead of being all the way over to the left, you're over to the right a little bit. So now there's no way that the car is going to track the way that it normally does. And you'll feel that. The objective is to correct that by the apex. Then you can go back to power. You've lost a little bit of time, but not that much. Plan C is if you, these get worse and worse as you're well aware. Yes. Plan C is if you go even faster and you cut the corner even shorter. Now, through your best efforts, you're not going to hit the apex. Your objective now is to stay on the track, okay? Right. And now you've lost a huge amount of time. If you were in a race, you know, two to five people would be passing you. One of them would wave to you. And, uh, you know, you've made a pretty bad mistake. Plan D is if you go in even hotter and you don't realize it soon enough, now you're going to go off the track. The objective is to keep the car upright. And what I mean by upright is if you are sliding and you go off the track, the outside wheels can dig in and you can roll any car, even a formal car, if you hit it just right. So the objective here is to go off as straight as you can, because if you're going straighter than you're going sideways, you're not going to roll the car. And that's a good thing. Plan E is to don't hit anything solid if you have a choice. By this time, you probably don't have a choice. But if you do have a choice, and this is the weird part, 
you want to go in nose first because that's where the car is going to protect you the most. It has the most amount of crumple zones. It's going to dissipate the most amount of energy. So even though the car will get hurt, you will probably not get hurt because the car has taken taken the bullet for you, if you will. Right. And then plan F, just use your imagination. Yeah. If, if none of those work. Yes. Well, and, pretty and, well screwed. And, and, the, and the biggest point there, I think, is a, is a starting point is the, the kind of the realization or, or, or basically a, the knowledge that as soon as you go, say, like two or especially four wheels off, you know, like in, in terms of safety, your priorities should shift to, you know, safety for yourself, like to the car, for the car to an extent, but, but really like try and keep the car upright try and avoid any obstacles you know obviously you don't want to hit anything and if you have the ability to avoid that you know well, definitely use that but i think maybe one of the ways that we can get ourselves into trouble just in that that first incident of just going off is to not switch our mental gear into that and instead try and keep our brains in the track like i'm going to keep on the throttle i'm going to try and keep as much speed as i can i'm going to try and get back on the track so i don't you know and whatever it's like that that's that can actually be like from the from the start how you can actually get yourself into a worse situation than if you completely well, switch gears and, and focus on the situation that you're in well and and one of the things i say in my talk as as you'll remember is we never drive below plan b right okay so as soon as you start missing your apex as soon as you go in and the car feels differently fix it Fix right. it at the plan B level, and then you'll never you'll never have a problem, you know, going off the track and hitting something or even losing control of the car unless, you know, unless there's a pretty serious mechanical failure. Right. And and the, and the big thing there is just, again, that like when something happens, like because unforeseen things can happen, you know, somebody, something happens, somebody taps you, you have a mechanical issue that ends up putting you off the track how you handle that situation to a certain extent can have a big impact on how significant or how detrimental the, the end result of that is. And so I think just right at the top, you know, you can put all the safety gear on that you want, but if you don't, it's, it's also worth realizing or, or remembering that how you handle that situation is just as important as all the gear that you have on or, or whatnot too. Well, yeah. I mean, the objective is to not ever, lose control of the car right and to compensate for any other bad drivers or you know sometimes stuff just happens in a race and many times stuff just happens on the street the street is uh even more risky although the speeds are lower right right well because not everybody is necessarily playing by the same set of rules yes well and, and yeah. that's where you know, kind of like from a motorcycle standpoint, you know, that's where awareness, you know, paying attention to things, um, that that is a big part of, of just normal driving safety. But it but it pertains on the track just as much as it went on the street. Yeah. And, and you know, one of the advantages that motorcycles have is they can avoid accidents even better than cars if the rider is good and paying attention because they take up less space. Uh, I've been riding a motorcycle, and because I could go 
from behind the car to between the cars, I was able to avoid a potential accident. Whereas if I was in a regular car, I wouldn't have had that option. You right. know, obvi obviously motorcycles are more risky if you get hit because you don't have metal around you. Right. Right. So it's, it's a, it's a balance there certainly, but right. know, paying attention and being able to take whatever action that you can is helpful if, to the best of your ability, no matter what you're riding or driving. So. Yep. Well, so and, and motorcycles as well, typically have a better performance than cars. So if you were to pull out in front of a car, like on a two-way stop on a highway, uh, you should be able to accelerate, you know, out-accelerate the car and still avoid the accident. Sure. And and sometimes outmaneuver the car, depending. Sure. Yeah. Well, let's talk about gear because, I mean, gear is one of those things where, you know, kind of like 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 the motorcycle situation where you, you have to put the car or put the bike down. At that in that instance, you have no choices as far as what you may or may not have on at that moment. Right. And so, like when if you're on a motorcycle, it's a it's probably a more obvious and a more deliberate choice, you know, versus like a car if you're driving at a track on a track day. But what is what is your thought as far as the prioritization of safety gear is? You know, obviously a helmet, probably no matter what the circumstance. But you know, as far as anything else like gloves, driving suit, etc. Right. Well, if you're gonna if you're gonna ride a motorcycle, you want to have you want to have over the ankle shoes or boots, long pants, long sleeve shirt or jacket, gloves, and a full face helmet. Um, you know, a three quarter helmet uh, which covers your ears and not the front of your face. Right. You know, I mean, I I used to not require a full face helmet when I first started my school. And I had a lady fall down in the gravel at very low speed, and she landed directly on her chin. Mm. So from that moment on, I mean, I required if you're going to take my classes, you've got to you've got to have full gear. Uh, if I'm even going to test you, you've got to have full gear if you want me to do it. Now, technically, um, we we don't have a helmet law in Colorado. So all you have to have is eye protection uh, by law. Wow. But if you want to be tested by go for it, you got to have full gear. That's the way we roll. Sure. What about what about in a car? Because that's cars are one of those things where we, we take our safety a bit more for granted just because <laughs> we're kind of more in, encapsulated than, than on a motorcycle where we feel more exposed. Yeah, I mean, with with cars, you know, we've got we've got three point seat belts, which aren't particularly great. I mean, in racing, we have six point seat belts, which are really great. Uh, we have racing seats, uh, which are very stiff. You know, if you get rear ended or you back into something, your seat isn't going to break and and go backwards. Uh, that's happened to me when I was in road Atlanta uh racing Camaros this was forever ago um I was Vince the test dummy oh, no. uh that after I had my accident and got my bell rung a little bit because the stock seat which in showroom stock GT you couldn't have a racing seat it was against okay. the rules okay uh, well after Vince the test dummy did his thing they required they changed the rule 
So now you have to have six point belts. You have to have a racing seat. Uh, you've got to have a window net, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah. Um, the, thing, the thing with cars is um, it's safety is always relevant to what's the probability that something's going to happen. And then if it does happen, what are the consequences? So most people in cars never think it's going to happen to them. So, you know, if they put on their seatbelt, I mean, I, just countless number of people that I instruct, I have to tell them to get the stuff off of the dash. You mm -hmm. know, they've got pens up there, stuff that can, if they were in an emergency, even just an emergency maneuver with high G-forces, that stuff could fly around and impale them. Sure. And, and a lot of them, you know, very smart, very conscientious people, they just don't put two and two together that anything that's loose in your car can be a projectile. Right. And that's that's not a good thing. And that's why a lot of tracks require that any non-essential non anything is removed from the car before you go on track. Right. And, and of course, in racing, you know, you, you wouldn't have any of that stuff. It would be it would be ludicrous because right. why would you add extra weight? <laughs> well, but, extra weight. But yeah. why, you know, why would you have a pen sticking through your helmet, you know, yeah. when you were just cruising around? Well, but but for track days, you know, if you're going to a track day, I mean, taking all non-essential stuff out of the car, you're probably going to have to do it at the track anyway. Why not do it in the garage before you leave? Exactly. You know, exactly. Yeah. Why not? Why not check the car over so that when you get to the track, you've got nothing to do but have fun with the vehicle. Right. And and, and driving a car on track, I mean, a helmet is 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 basically required everywhere for for all the obvious safety reasons. Right. And just um, let's see. For most of the tracks, three quarter helmets are still okay, and and I'm okay with that in cars. Um, you know. You're, you're going to have less of a probability, especially if you have six-point belts, then I don't think you can hit your head on the dash if, if they're right. tightened up properly. Um, and then uh, full-face helmet, of course, if you're going to do pro racing, uh, I would recommend you, you have to have a full-face helmet. You have to have a Hans device. You have to have a fire suit, fireproof underwear, socks, gloves shoes all of those things yeah would you say like you know if, if 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 you've been going to the track and you're starting to really like want to make sure that that's not an activity that you're going to do a number of times and you want to buy a helmet it's probably best to buy i mean in my opinion a full face helmet because like i said some some racing series require it and you know if you're going to spend your money on a helmet why not get one that you know you're definitely going to be able to use versus like if you get one that's maybe a three-quarter helmet, but then if you get in, if you decide a year later, two years later to go racing, well, now you have to buy another helmet because the racing series requires a full face. Sure. And and you're going to eventually have to update your helmet. Um, SCCA and the other racing organizations have standards for helmets. I think the standard now is 2015 mm -hmm. SA. Um which means you can have a fairly old helmet, but you know, if it's if you've got like a you know over a 10-year-old helmet, you probably want to get a new helmet. Yeah. Just 
you know, the straps, especially if you've been wearing it a long time, you know, they can, they can deteriorate and that's very important. Can you talk a little bit about what the difference is safety-wise between a motorcycle certified helmet and an automotive certified helmet? Sure. They are, I mean, as far as impact protection, they're about the same. The motorcycle helmets are geared a little bit more for a, a big impact, uh, whereas the car helmets are, are designed for multiple lesser impacts because you're in the vehicle. The SA stands for special application, and that just means that uh, inside of the helmet, you've got a Nomex material that is fire resistant for the cars. Uh, motor motorcycles, it's not an issue. If you fall down on a motorcycle, you're probably not going to burn because you're going to be away from the motorcycle. Right. That, that's a big consideration. And that's one of those things that I think is overlooked. I mean, motorcycle helmets are less expensive. They're more readily available. And, and most, most tracks and organizations will allow it. But again, sure. if you're going to buy a helmet... And, and you think there's any chance that you might do any kind of other sports, getting an automotive certified helmet versus motorcycle certified helmet, again, means that like it's it's going to meet the right certifications if you want to progress. Right. And and that fire prevention, that's that's a nice, it's good to know that you've got it versus nothing. Yeah, because, you know, the chances of you being trapped in a car that's burning, obviously, is much higher in a car then, I mean, even if the motorcycle catches fire, 99% of the time, you're not going to be right on top of the bike. And if right. you are, you're going to be conscious and you'll be off that bike in a New York minute. Right, right. What do you think? You mentioned the Hans device. So so maybe right. just, can you, so this is for, for cars. Can you just briefly explain what a Hans device is and, and how they, you know, like why you would want one? Sure. Um, uh, head and neck support is what Hans stands for, and the reason that Hans became popular, and I remember when we didn't have to have Hans, you would have someone that would get into typically a frontal impact, and right below their neck, uh, their spinal cord would be either impaled or broken. And they would either be paralyzed or, in some cases, uh, just die. And the reason was is because your head, which weighs a fair amount, um, it doesn't have a seat belt. Your right. body has a seat belt. So if you would get into a, a really big frontal impact, your body is going to be held, but there's nothing to hold your head. And if your head really flexes, or goes back far enough, there's there's going to be an injury. And when Hans devices first came out, they were like, they were like fifteen hundred dollars. And right. I had to ask myself, look, pal, is your head really worth fifteen hundred dollars? And of course, you see the videos, and yes. Then you go, yeah, yeah, it is. <laughs> pay, pay the man, yeah, right. But people didn't realize that. If you can tether your head, which is exactly what the Hans device does, and there's, you know, there's other manufacturers other than Hans, but they right. all do basically the same thing. Now you've got a seat belt for your head so right. that here we'll go sideways so that instead of your neck 
falling all the way down and further, your head's going to stay pretty much level and it'll move a little bit, but then Hans it'll be tethered by the Hans device. And that can literally save your life or keep you from being paralyzed. So right. just pay the man. And there you can get them. I've seen them as low as like $700, you know, so. And it's, and, and it goes basically, it goes, it's almost like a collar. So it comes down on, right. on you know, uh, around your back. It's got like a bumper behind right. the helmet. Right. And then it comes down over your uh, your shoulders, and then that's connected directly to the helmet. So that's how the your head movement right. is limited. And it's and it's and it's held by uh, the six point harness, mm -hmm. so it's not going anywhere. Um, and it's important to get the the tethers adjusted properly. You don't want them to be too loose, and then you don't want them to be too tight either, because then you can't can't move right. your head as much as you could. So. So now, and you mentioned this six-point harness, and so where, where that is relevant to it is like the Hans device that comes over your shoulders, and then the straps for the harness go over that. So the harness, is, in part, is holding the Hans in place. For, right. So that's where the support comes from. In other words, you'd have to put the Hans on first, and then put the straps over the Hans to anchor it. And then what I do is just make sure that the Hans is all the way back, mm -hmm. and you know, make sure that okay, it's adjusted properly. It's as comfortable as it can be, but you still want it to be effective. Right. Now, for, for a lot of racing series, they require that kind of neck protection. But for like track days, I don't I don't think most of them require it because, again, you do have to have the racing harness to make right. the neck support work. Right. If you if you just have a regular three point seat belt. Yeah, there's there's really no place to put a yeah there's no like the one belt that comes across there's right. not enough support yeah. there to to onto the helmet but generally speaking and this is generally uh, you know the, if it's not a race car if it's not a high performance car the speeds are going to be a bit less the chance and you're you're almost certainly not going wheel to wheel so like the the probability of having an accident where you know the haunts would really come into play is going to be less but. You know, for folks out there, it's something it's something to be aware of. Right. And, you know, when you're out on a test day, um, you know, or a practice day, there's no racing. Hopefully, you know, people would be a little bit more polite and point you by, you know, even even if you're in a slower car and this is this is where it gets hard. You know, you've got your 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 brand new Porsche and this guy in this silly little Miata keeps closing you up <laughs> and and you're supposed to point him by but that's hard to do sometimes sometimes and, yeah and i've i've been in both of those types of cars and you know if you're the if you're the little engine that could you just keep hounding them and eventually hopefully right. they'll point you by right so so this brings it brings us to an interesting point which is harnesses really because that, that has gotten kind of, for, for good reasons, but it's gotten a little bit more complicated in the last couple of years because of, well, basically four-point harnesses are pretty much not allowed anymore right. in any tracks. Right. And then there is the rule of equal protection for, for both passengers in the car, which has come about recently. And I, I would assume, that, well, because you've been an instructor for so many years, I wonder, well, let's maybe, can you explain what brought about that rule about equal protection for both passengers, the driver and the passenger? 
Sure. I mean, it's it's just it's just to reduce the risk. You know, a lot of the tracks, typically what will happen is uh, somebody will have a crash and somebody will be injured. OK, either either the driver or the passenger or both. And in retrospect, could it have been prevented if the safety equipment was at a higher level? And the answer is typically yes. Now, the other side of that coin is you've got you've got hundreds of people that will come out to a track day. Most of them have no interest in actually racing. They just want to go out and have fun with their car. Right. And if you make it too difficult for them to do that, then you're going to lose them. Like if you were to require you know, a full roll cage, racing seat, fire system, you're you're going to lose a lot of people. And again, in most cases, there's not a lot of crashes, you know, on a, on a lapping day. Right. So, so yeah, so the risk is, is, of course, there, but fairly small. I'm yeah. kind of surprised that they outlawed uh, four place belts just because of you know no submarine action right. and i i get that but a four place belt is still better than a three place belt in a factory retracting three points yeah yeah sure so so, so what, but, but let's just say rule let's just say when we're talking about points like yeah so the points are basically you have you know the belt system the points are the number of places on the car that it's connected to yeah, the attachment so like, point. Yeah, so like if you sit in your car and you pull your you pull your uh, seatbelt on and you right. clip it, well, that's one buckle. But if you look over your shoulder, that's one connection point to the car. Right. And then the the lap belt on either side, that's that's a connection point on either side. Right. So that's your that's your three points. Right. So four points is basically a connection over both both shoulders, and then and then then yeah. you have a belt that goes your waist. Yeah. And then, then the, the five or the six point is, you know, between your legs so that you, your body can't slide out from under the harness. Right. And go underneath the dash. Right. And the difference between the five point belt and the six point belt is just you have two submarine belts uh, more equally distributing the force on your right. legs as opposed to uh, turning it's you into a soprano. Right. So, and it's... It's one of those things where, you know, th there's a difference between driving at the track for fun, driving at the track to learn, and then being in a competition environment. Right. And so, so that's really like where the requirements for the, you know, for the tracks or the organizing body, typically that's where the difference is as far as how much gear do you have to have? You know, where, where do you have to have a racing harness, helmet, and a Hans versus you're allowed on track with just a factory seatbelt? Right. Um, and it's one of those things, like, as you progress more, like if you get out to the track, you know, like I said, you know, the, the barrier for entry, they want to keep it reasonable so that if people want to just try it for the first time or explore it, you can do so in, in your car and you don't have to put thousands of dollars of safety gear into the car to do it. But then once you get to that competition level, then that's where, okay, well, the chances of something going a little bit haywire are greater. And so that's where the, the safety standards have to increase. Right. And any any time you've gotten a, a road racing license and you're racing, sanctioned racing wheel to wheel, 
again, not not autocross, you know, not time, <clears throat> excuse me, time attack. Um, you know, those are types of competition, but they're not wheel to wheel racing. If you're going to go wheel to wheel racing, uh, every organization that I'm aware of, you have to have a full roll cage. You have to have a racing seat, six point belts, window net, full protective gear like we talked about, fire suit, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and either a fire extinguisher or a fire system, depending on the class and the car. Right. Uh, some cars also have to have fuel cells uh, in the touring class that I race in. The stock gas tanks are acceptable. And, and the factory gas tanks, they typically have to pass some kind of puncture resistance. I mean, for, for a production car to have a gas tank, there, there's tests that they have to go through. Right. I mean, it's I'm I feel very safe. Um, I mean, it's possible to puncture either one. It's possible to have a fire in either one. I mean, we've all seen videos of, of really high-level race cars with a fuel cell that got punctured just in the right way at a right. high enough speed to cause ignition. So, you know. It's it's a it's a it's a probability game. You know, right. it's it's you know, again, it's like think of yourself in that situation where you're riding the motorcycle and then something happens and you're in the process of falling down. Well, you know, if you if you can think of that scenario, the more stuff that you can put on, you give yourself a better chance of being less injured, greater right. survivability chance in that circumstance. And and that's where those those racing sanctioning bodies they have all those standards in place for good reason. Right. Well, yeah. and I and I can tell you from personal experience when I fell down at a hundred miles an hour. You slide a long way, buddy. Sure. You know? And at the end, when I finally stopped, I got up. I checked myself out. Nothing broken. Brushed myself off. <laughs> picked up my motorcycle. Right. <laughs> which was kind of a paper wad. And, and you were very you glad know, to have done it. That, you yeah. know, and had, had all the gear so that you could like get up in that situation. Absolutely. One of the one of the things that's hard, I think is to know where minimum requirements are okay and where even if you're not required to have a higher standard of safety gear where maybe you you want you want to bring or basically install a higher level of safety gear even if it's not required do you do you have any kind of thoughts in that regard i i do um it it really depends on how serious you want to be in other words if you don't mind being really polite, like, you know, if somebody comes up behind you, you put on your turn signal or point them by and, and you do that, you know, when you see them. So there's never a confrontation, then your risk is going to be pretty low. You know, which, people which would, would, that would be the circumstance basically at a normal track. Day. Like it's well, not a competition. That would extent. be. Yeah, that would be for some people. Right. <laughs> True. Most most people I would say are in the middle. Okay. They're, they're not going to be that polite, but if if an aggressive driver comes up on them, you know, with authority, then they'll be in the middle ground. Mm. You know, like oh it's oh it's that guy again, you know, Pettiford. Right. 
<laughs> just just give them a point by and yeah, just, get on with the day. Just get it over with. That's right. right. Now at the at the top level, you know, the people that really want to be top drivers and top racers, then you're gonna have to, you know, be really good at racecraft. And sometimes that's going to involve, you know, light rubbing or the potential of contact. And if you're in that category, then I would say, yes, yeah. get all the safety equipment, uh, go ahead and get started in racing. You might as well, because you're only going to be so good without racing. Well, and, and kind of what, what I'm getting from, from the first part of that is, is like focus. Like if you have a really hyper focus on going fast and you, you want to push like, like, you know, again, you're, you're maybe not going to be driving in your mirrors as much and you really want to go fast and you really want to push and, and develop and always like going faster is the, is the top priority. That that might be a good indicator that maybe more safety gear is better than less safety gear. Because when you, when you, when you get in that moment, if you have kind of like that hyper focus, it's hard to shift. Like we talked about at the beginning, maybe back off and into a preservation mode versus like carrying as much speed into the corner and that something, the, the chances of something going wrong if you're pushing really hard and, and always trying to take the car to the limits of either your skills or the, or the car's ability, that the chances of, of having something go wrong or, or unexpected happen is greater. Sure. And, and the other thing is to remember, you know, if you've got a really fast car, fast cars are harder to drive and they go faster. They go faster. So... Well, and, and speed, speed, I think, is a factor. Um, it, it is a factor worth considering as far as like, do I need the minimum or do I want to start? Do I want to look at bringing in more? I mean, any, anything that happens at triple digit speeds, I mean, you mentioned, you know, sliding, coming off a motorcycle 100 miles an hour, you're moving at that point, yeah. you know, and, and so you're, like you said, you're sliding faster. You're, you're going to be sliding for longer. The, the possibilities of something happening there is greater, but the cars, you, it's not that different. You, you have moments to reflect. <laughs> and that's, that's a, that's a scary thing to think about. <laughs> yeah. I remember I was, I was racing at uh, mid Ohio with a Camaro and they've got a long back straightaway and my brakes, the the bias on my brakes failed. So all of the power went to my rear brakes. Mm. And I went in pretty deep. So immediately, car goes sideways. Immediately, big white smoke, flat spotted four tires. So, you know, as I'm sideways and I'm looking at the other cars, you have a moment to reflect. Like, you know... I've done pretty good in my life so far. I <laughs> yep. hope. Uh... <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and, and I think again, with cars, like, you know, you have a car that's capable of going say 130, 140, 150 miles an hour and, and you're encapsulated. You have the car, the doors and everything. Right. Well, if the car can do it, certainly it must be safe enough. Well, but if you're going to spend like the more time you're going to spend in, a, you know, in triple digits, you know, especially high triple digits, digit speeds, you know, like if something should happen, I mean, something I mean, tires, like it's a single point of failure. If you have a tire that goes out, it doesn't, I mean, at that point, your ability to control the car is less. The probability of you having it off goes way up. And you just, sometimes you just never know what's going to happen. You know, so that's, 
the more time you spend in those triple digit speeds, then that's maybe the point where you would consider, or it would be worth considering bringing in more safety gear, especially if it's, if it's a car that you're going to be, it's going to be more of a dedicated track car and so forth. Sure. No, that's a, that's a good thing. And most of the people that are, you know, that have enough money to buy a really fast car will go the extra, you know, for safety gear, you know, whether it's a full face helmet, whether it's putting additional belts in the car, a racing seat so that they can wear a Hans device. Um, Yeah. I mean, especially if something bad has already happened to them, if they've learned that lesson the hard way, then hopefully they won't have to learn it again the hard way. Right. Now, and, and the thing that you have to keep in mind making that decision to bring in the belts and stuff is that now because you know, four-point belts are not allowed, and I believe harness bars are, are pretty much not allowed either, which is you know, a way to bring in a harness but not put in a cage. I, I okay. believe that most tracks don't allow that. I, I hadn't heard that, but if that's what you've heard, okay. Well, and, and I guess if you're going to look at bringing in belts, find out about harness bars. Sure. If, if your track or the organized body allows them. Um, I think that the difficulty there is that the, the standards for a harness bar, like there's not really a standard for this bar. Typically right. they bolt in in the over the shoulder belt location right. and then just go across. Right. But there's not, there's not a standard for like bar thickness or, or strength. Right. You know, if, so if you, if you, remove the factory belts, which are certified, and then you put in a harness bar that is not certi- certified, you might be in a little bit more tenuous situation um, than before. But but the thing of it is, is that now when you bring in those belts, you've got to do it for both sides because that equal protection rule, just to ensure, you know, if you have an accident, you're going to be as, as well protected as your passenger, be it an instructor or somebody else. Well, so and you, can also, you can also consult uh, people that make roll cages. If you want to see, okay, this is what I've got as a harness bar. Is it sufficient for what I'm doing? They can tell you instantly because yep. they do that stuff all the time. And and it, it is possible that some of the racing classes only require a four-point cage. So like like belts, you know, the, the number of points in a cage is how many conduction points it has in the car. So a four-point right. would be the main hoop that would go over the the, the the heads of the driver and the passenger, but then it right. just goes to the back of the car. Right. So that's it's easier and less expensive to install. And then once you have that four-point cage, then you can properly install whatever belts you need. Right. And then of course for for the racing we do, it's it's eight points of of contact. You're yeah. you're through the dash, you're behind. So it's yeah, it's a really, really good cage. Yeah. And, and putting a cage in, it's an investment. I mean, it's going to cost a bit of money. It lets you properly install the safety gear. So it's, you know, it's one of those things that as you, as you start thinking in that direction, um, those, are, those are the things to weigh. And, and the big thing is to you know, find out the tracks you're going to be going to, what their requirements are. Right. And the organizing bodies that you're, that you're driving at the track with, be it SCCA, NASA, et cetera. You know, what, are, what are their requirements for safety? Um, and all that all that information is in the rule book of that particular organization. And after you read it, it may or may not make sense. You know, call somebody from that organization. Give me a call. Um, you know, run it by them just to make sure before you spend the money and you didn't do it properly. And now you have to redo it. Right. Or or you spent the money, you go to your event 
and you found out that, well, if I was running just an open track day or with this organization, it would be fine, but I'm, I want to compete with this organization and it's not okay. I have to do right. a couple extra things. Right. Yeah. What, what is your thoughts or recommendation point for just something as simple as a driving suit, a fireproof driving suit and possibly gloves or, and or shoes for, for, um, I would, I would suggest, um, Around here, wine country has really got the best uh, mm -hmm. selection of stuff in stock. Um, you know, Grant down there has always been very helpful. In any of the people, I know just about everybody down there. Um, you know, if you want to try it on, especially helmets, especially fire suits, uh, even shoes, you know, yep. uh, it's really important that in addition to the protection that it be as comfortable as possible. And especially helmets. Everybody has a different style head and you can try on three different brands of helmets and nothing will fit correctly. Yep. And then you try on the fourth and it feels like, oh, well, I've worn this helmet all my life. It feels like a, you know, a glove. So- that is, Yeah, that is a great point. Yeah, it's, it's, it's really important because if you get a helmet that's too tight and if, and mid yeah. mid race you've got a pain and now that's a distraction your risk goes up yeah. so you know i would spend you know my students i'll go down there with them uh to wine country and make sure supervise it and ask them the proper questions because you're going to have that gear for a long time you know yep. you're not going to buy fire suits and helmets you know even every year that, that's a great point. And what the what the just popped into my head is I had a guy that was in California that was looking for a recommendation for a seat. I can't remember how how that came up, but what I told him is like you you really need like to sit in a seat. You know, with with racing seats, they have different different height backs, different width. You know, oh, for yeah. hips and stuff. So like our Pikes Peak car in the picture over there. So our driver, right. Scott, he's got a seat that he loves and he fits in and it's great. And for right. me, it's it's basically a flip of the coin whenever I get in that car, if I'm going to get out. Because I kind of get stuck in there and it is it is miserable. Um, because like just like the, the seat width and, and height that I need is not the same as, as what Scott needs. And it, I kind of get stuck in there. And so like the comfort point is, is a huge one that I right. think it's easy to overlook is if, if you don't like your helmet, if it's uncomfortable, you're right. It's going to be a distraction. Right. And your desire to wear it is going to be less. And that same goes for a suit, right. um, a, a seat that you're going to be spending a lot of time sitting in. You right. want to make sure that it fits and it's comfortable because it because it could be a distraction and, and it could take away from a lot of the enjoyment of, of using the car. Well, and in the in the event, in the in the instance of the seats, I mean, if you get a seat that's not right for you, you can actually have your leg go to sleep you know or or be painful during a race and that's that's really not good and that's no. and they have they have multiple seats there as well you've been down there it's i mean you know you can sit in 10 different seats and even if they can't find a perfect one they can say okay we can order this brand an inch wider an inch narrower and and just customize it and that's very yeah. important well, and the, another thing, if you're going to get into a, an actual seat, is where the harnesses come through on the shoulders. 
right? Because different people, like you can have three people that are all, you know, six feet tall, but sure. the length of their, the length of their core could be different. Yeah, and which so. would mean that the, the point where the belts come through the back would need to be different to fit properly because they can't be below your shoulders. It has to be kind of like right above. Right. And so like when you, if you go to a, a professional shop where you can sit in the seat, make sure that it's comfortable, they're also going to be able to look at the fitment and make sure that it's correct too. And so that, well, and, and you can custom design the padding. You can put more padding at the base of the seat. Um, yep. you know, we have people that rent our cars that will put a, like a pillow or a, you know, I kid them. It's a booster chair. It's really right. not, but you know, you, you want to get them as comfortable as possible. And so the belts are laying correctly so that in the event of an impact, they're going to, they're going to do the most good. Yep, exactly. And, and, and that, that fitment, the fitment being correct. Right. Is important for them to be able to do that job. Right. And same thing with the steering wheel. You know, I've, I've had, I've had cars that the steering wheel, you know, I thought I was a bus driver. I mean, the steering wheel was huge. Uh, and the car had power steering. So, right. you know, they also have steering wheels down there. And and try them on. See, okay, if that's a little big, all right, there we go. That works mm -hmm. great. Yeah. It's all, there's, it's important to have the right gear. And it, it, it's important that it actually fits so it can do its job right. And that's right. that's something that, it, we, it's it's the internet age. We all fall into this trap of like, oh, I'll just, I, I just need a race suit. I'll just click this button and I'll have it. I need a helmet. I'll just click this button. It's going to be fine. Like this right. is one of those things where, like, it really does. It is important to actually put it on, fit it, make sure that it fits properly. Yeah. Spend spend the extra time. Spend a little extra money so that it feels great. It's yep. like I said, you're going to have it for a long time. Yep. And I would say, like, even if you're if you're a beginning enthusiast and you're just doing track days, you're just starting to spend a little bit more time at the track. I mean. Getting a good driving suit that that has a decent fire fire protection rating and maybe some fireproof gloves with an automotive certified helmet. I mean, those are those are all things that are just good to have. And, and again, you just probably nothing's going to happen, but you never know. Right. And to have it, it's, it's easier to have it and not need it than the other way around. Because you know, because you're on right. your motorcycle, starting to fall over. That's not the time to like start looking around for for a good jacket or a good yeah. helmet or something. When I when I got my 2010 Grand Sport Corvette, I bought it brand new, sent it out to Phoenix Performance to get uh, to get fixed up. wasn't a scratch on it. I did the runoffs uh, at Road America, and that was the year that the guy up front missed a shift, and my car got hit at all four corners. <laughs> my brand new beautiful car. Now the good news is, I was totally unscathed. I didn't have yeah. a scratch and I got hit multiple times. Yeah. It's my wallet. My wallet was not unscathed. But... It also got hit multiple times. <laughs> yes, it did. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, and, and <clears throat> you know, if you're, if you're in a motorsport enthusiast, you're probably watching motorsports and, and almost any motorsport that you're watching now, if there is an incident that occurs more, more now than ever before previously, Usually, you know, there, there's it's less significant. Usually, the people are getting out of the cars and and oh, yeah. are in good shape. And a lot of a lot of that, I mean, it's it's all trickle down, like from from the highest level to the to the, to the most entry level of motorsports. As as organizing bodies figure out what is safer or how you can build a cage safer, or 
you know, like, like having a fire suppression system on a car, what sure. increases the, the safe survivability of an incident or, or increases the safety for the car, that's where this all comes from. And that's where all these standards have come from. So as you're watching motorsports and you're seeing like, it, it's, motorsports used to be a, a little bit more perilous. Like when you're, like if you go back and, and watch any of the Formula One races from the, the 80s or the 90s, like, oh yeah. You, you start to watch like a few of those races and it's like 25% of the drivers. There's some scary stuff that used to happen and, and, and it doesn't happen anymore. And maybe right. that's just something to keep in mind is like the, the reason for it is because the safety has gotten so much better. Right. And so, you've got, but you've got to remember as you're watching this and you're seeing like, wow, look at that car that flipped, you know, six, six ways from Sunday. And then the guy just walked out and um, wasn't injured. Well, it's because the safety standards are better, but that's why you have to follow those safety standards to have that level of protection as well. Right. And it's, you know, I, I can't imagine um, that's, that's even before my time. Uh, you know, most of the people in formula one that died, it was because of fire. Yeah. 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 It, I mean, I, I'm not saying go back and watch those things just for that, but it's, you know, that's the one other thing that maybe we need to kind of remind ourselves of is that, you know, because you're not, most of these instances, you know, the drivers are walking away. It's because they have a very high degree of safety and that's from the gear and from the build of the car. Right. But that doesn't, you know, unless you have that same equipment in your car, that doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to have the same degree of, of safety built into the cars. Cars sure. obviously have gotten better too. I mean, you know, the, the impact protection that just a, a ready off the showroom floor car offers now in 2023 compared to even five or 10 years ago is right. greater, certainly. But right. you know, when you start talking about motorsports, the built-in protection is not, it's still not the same as if you had, you know, the six-point harness, a Hans device, a proper cage. Like, there, there's there's still a difference there. Well, and, and the older cars, um, you know, they'd hit a brick wall and the car wouldn't be that damaged, but the driver would probably die. Yeah. Whereas now you get into a car and the car is just totally destroyed. It takes all the energy and the driver typically will get out unscathed. They're very, you know, not yeah. hurt very badly at all. Yeah. So, I mean, maybe maybe just as we're winding it down here, that the, the age of the car might be something to consider too. Like if you're if you're doing, you know, vintage racing or, or the car that you, you want to take to the track is, you know, your favorite car from like the 80s or the 90s, you know, before they really had very well-developed and, and implemented crumple zones and stuff in the, in the chassis. Like right. that's where maybe like bringing in a cage so that you, you're bringing in that really high level of protection to this car that maybe didn't have it from the factory. That's where that might well, be. Well, and in, in, in vintage racing, you're still going to be required to have the roll cage, the racing sure. seat, the belts, the fire suit, all that. So even if the car isn't quite as good, you're still going to be protected with all of the other safety requirements. Right, right. Well, so... We've touched on a lot of stuff. I feel like we've covered it a lot of good topics here. Is there anything else you think of or can think of that maybe we should touch on before we wind it down? Well, um, you're not going to get out of a conversation with me without talking about training. Mm. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Because, you know, so many people that I train, and this is on the street as well, they don't know how to stop in the shortest distance. They don't know what to do in the event of a brake failure, throttle stick, two-way stop where you can't see. So get good training so that, you know, if you knew what the top drivers in the world did that either 
never had accidents on the road ever or championship winning race car drivers if you were trained to do that same technique you would be better safer you know so don't don't forget training yeah and i mean it's what it is is it's it's kind of like when you're talking about the awareness plan plan a plan b plan c you know like hit drive perfectly hit all your marks plan a plan b is you know okay i missed the turn in but i'm still going to hit my exit you know your apex. You, yeah, or sorry, apex. When you when yep. you know what that is, and when you can actually like, how do you know if you've missed your turning points? Right. You know, and and then the level of control of the car that you have. The more the more you drive, the more instruction you get, the more understanding you have of your ability to control the car as a driver. Your your ability to use the steering, the throttle, the brakes to to use the car as as it as it as it can be, and, and you. And to interact with the car, to feel right. The difference between an average driver and and a world champion driver is typically when they feel something is amiss. The world champion driver feels it in the first nanosecond. The average driver feels it after two seconds. Right, and and maybe would you agree also like when something is amiss, what ability or controls they have at their at their ability to still control the car or correct the car correct. versus like somebody that doesn't have a lot of experience a lot you might think you're a passenger long before like there may be things you can do that you're not aware of right and that's being familiar with the car and being trained to do it at the reflexive level a lot of people think that intellectual knowledge transfer is top level training and it's right. it's not it, it's it's that it's the uh the the, the reflex that the subconscious uh sure. ability to to react versus having to think things through right yeah it's like we've we've talked about um uh hitting a fastball or like if, if you look at the physics of, of hitting a fastball you know the time from when it leaves the pitcher's hand until it's over home plate and the time and the speed that it's going, it should be impossible to hit a fastball, but major league players can do it because they've, they've trained, they've practiced so much that there's, right. there's basically a natural reflex that they have honed to, to be able to, to, to do that. And to a certain extent that there's, there's a similarity there with driving where like, as you spend more time in the seat, as you get more familiar with your controls and your abilities and get good instruction, there's, there's those control aspects that can kind of become you know, reflex or, or you have that in your, in your toolbox. Well, and we're doing, when we're doing our street training to recognize clues of potential hazards well in advance of what the average driver would even perceive is a potentially dangerous situation. Right. And, and that's, and that carries over to the track too, because if you're falling behind a car, you, you need to be paying attention to what you're doing, but you kind of have to have an awareness of what that car is doing too. Sure. And so like if, if something happens with that car, like, like you're saying, like you, you had a circumstance where you locked up your brakes and your tires started to smoke. Well, if I'm the car behind you. I, you, you, you can see that, but you, you see the situation happening, but then have some awareness of like, okay, what, what plans, what, what things do I now need to implement in my driving and in what I'm doing with my car to make sure that I don't get pulled into this incident? What, what, what can I do? you know, move, move into that phase. Well, and, and to be trained 
to have backup strategies, multiple backup strategies. If this happens, I do this. If this happens, I do that. And to have that at the reflexive level, that is the difference between the top drivers and the drivers that something always seems to happen with them. Right, right. And 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 even as you're just getting into, if you're exploring going at the track and driving at speed for the first time or, or, or handful of times, like those, those reflexes and that kind of level of awareness, that's something that you're going to have to develop. Right. Like that's, that's not something that you could have been driving on the street for, for 40 years. And, and this is a, this is a different level of awareness. You, hopefully you have some of it, but it is, it is different than, than what you might have just from, from driving in the street. Well, and, and like I always say, practice makes permanence. Mm-hmm. Perfect practice makes perfect. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it's, that's one of the points that's kind of why I wanted to start with the, with the awareness plan. And it, it's, it's the, the knowledge that there are some things that you can do proactively to, to increase your skill set and, and with the choices that you make as far as, you know, the gear that you have, the gear that you've installed in the car and the gear that you're always wearing in the car on track, but also your, just your, your training and your proficiency level with driving that have an effect on your, on your safety. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, that, that is a great point to end on. Um, if, I think that's probably as good a place as we can come to. I think we've covered it all. If you've got any questions, you're all obviously welcome to leave them in the comments below, but you're also welcome to reach out to Mike at GoForIt Services. Um, you know, Mike has got a wealth of experience that can probably answer any question that, that you might might have as far as you know, training or, or what safety gear you might need. Um, so, Mike, thank you very much for your time. Thanks, thanks for suggesting this topic. Honestly, it's something where, again, it's just it's so easy to to lose sight of of the importance of safety. And so, I think it was a really good conversation to have. Thank you very much. Always a pleasure to talk to you, John. Yes, sir. Well, thanks very much, everybody, for watching. Hopefully, this was helpful. And until next time, as always, stay tuned to Flatirons Two. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in to the Flatiron Syndicate Motorsports Podcast. Once again, we'd like to let you know that your support is what makes this show possible. Be sure to check out our online store at flatironstuning.com for any of your aftermarket or OEM Subaru parts needs. And as always, stay tuned with Flatiron's Tuning.